wherever you are. Uh, today is 12th of March. This is episode 8 of the Groovy Podcast with me, Peter Lebrook. And me, Ken Cousin. Well, and uh, Ken will be leading this one because I'm still recuperating from illness. Yes, my condolences, my friend. Uh, this has been tough. We were hoping to have everything every two weeks, but from what I gathered last week, you were completely out of action. <coughs> yeah. That's a good answer. Pretty, um, I'm with Andres. So I, I should not go to the south of France ever again. <laughs> That's an awfully big price to pay, I'm afraid. Oh, I don't know about that. I've, I've very rarely been to the south of France. Not that it's not a nice place. I oh, I hear. At any rate, the, uh, the big news this week, of course, uh, the big news of the last couple of weeks has been the move of Groovy to a foundation. So of the various choices, apparently they have chosen Apache. Yeah, I'm kind of glad of that. I had really Apache in my head um, as possibly the most appropriate one. Uh, it's still got, I think, the the biggest name recognition. It's got that heritage and history. Um, and I know that the the Groovy core team are a little... Uh, they're all reluctant with the, the changes to the infrastructure and everything else that will that will inevitably occur. But um, I think it's a that's necessary step. That's necessary annoyance to go through. So... Um, I expect it to do well within Apache. Um, hopefully, they will go through the full incubator period, which is a, usually about a year, I think. Maybe it'll just be six months. Well, hopefully, it'll be streamlined. Uh, Guillaume LaForge did an interview on um, InfoQ, and we put that in the show notes, where it seemed like they were implying they were hoping they could streamline, streamline this entire process down to just three months or so. But that may have been the interviewer, you know, Matt Rabel, that may have been his idea rather than the actual reality. Yeah, well, I was involved with the um, Apache Shiro going into right. uh, becoming part of Apache. And he, with that project, it's like, oh, well established. It was a J-Security back then. Mm. So uh, we're expecting a fast track. But to be honest, I don't think it's really necessary to be on a fast track. And it does take getting used to... Uh, switching to something as as formal as a foundation like that. So um, I think many projects go into it going, yeah, yeah, we're well established, we're going to fast track and what have you. But I, I don't think it happens very often. Um, I, I maybe they can do it in three months, but I don't think it's that important that they, they suddenly become a top-level project straight away. Um, and I think it does behove them to get that period of time just getting used to the the way that Apache works. So will that mean that they'll be moving to the Apache infrastructure as well, that they'll they'll ultimately be groovy.apache.org, that sort of thing? Yes, once they become a top-level project, mm -hmm. that happens. Um, they'll be in the incubator until then. Um, but, you know, they've, they've got their own website already, and, you know, most of the stuff that's visible to the public Mm -hmm. um, isn't tied to Groovy uh, to Apache in any way. So um, it's sort of the Apache stuff is behind the scenes. So I don't think there's a, a need to rush to top-level project status. I just wonder if people are going to start referring to it as Apache Groovy as well. Like <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
how often do you refer to Apache Maven? Maybe officially, or uh, Ant for that matter. Um, yeah, I, I think possibly formally it will happen, like in, in certain written uh, articles and that kind of thing, but I actually I can't see it changing. It's been too long. I, I hope not. I, I also actually hope that Groovy is an infusion of life into the Apache ecosystem as well, because while they have you know new projects that come along and things that get a lot of attention, things like Spark and stuff like that, Apache is not the destination that it once was, at least not from what uh, I perceive as value. Uh, this, of course, they do have the nice established situation, and it is a very good destination. I'm hoping that the addition of Ruby will be helpful for the Apache people as well as vice versa. Yeah, yeah, fingers crossed that does happen. I feel, I don't know, I kind of feel that uh, Apache seems better for established projects, but if you're completely new, um, the the extra burdens there, the, the Apache name doesn't necessarily give you a, an awful lot. So when you're finding your feet, uh, just just having GitHub and uh, a website, I think, is, is enough, sufficient. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. I think it's definitely good for Groovy. We'll see. And, yeah, hopefully it'll be interesting to see whether Groovy's picked up from the uh, the other Apache projects. Well, that makes um, a lot of sense. Uh, I, I'm sure that's going to be very helpful in the long run. I found it interesting that at the end of the interview, uh, Guillaume was asked about the future of Grails, and they didn't say anything about the home for Grails or any destination on that. It basically made it sound like it was still all being decided. Have you heard anything on that side? No, I haven't. So, um, yeah, all I said is uh, there's been no decision. I am. Um, I don't know how hard they're thinking about Grails joining a foundation. Mm. Um, so it will just be a, an independent entity for the moment. I mean, Grails is is under a lot of flux at the moment, mostly because of the end of March deadline and the fact that they're trying to get out the, the 3.0 release before that happens. Uh, this morning I got the tweet that Grails 3.0.0.rc1, the release candidate 1, was available. Uh, were you involved in that at all, or are you just aware of it? Uh, I just saw the tweet this morning, just as you did. Mm -hmm. So nothing more than that. Um, but it just—it looks like they are on track, hopefully, to get um, a sort of final release end of March. Um, I guess they can squeeze in another an RC two. Yeah, I don't know what the plans are, so we'll just wait and see. But certainly, uh, they're under very active development. Uh, I didn't notice anything as a major change between the M one or what was it, the M two version. NRC1, but I haven't really looked through it yet. Uh, I did take a look at the uh, the link in the show notes is the one pointing to the the release page. Uh, let me just check that again. Yeah, yes. I'm not expecting many. I, I'm not expecting sort of significant changes between the milestones and the RCs. I think mm -hmm. it's really just bug fixes, sorting various things out. And also attempting to get as many core plugins as possible transferred to Grails 3, because that's going to be the biggest hurdle, I think, for many people when it comes to upgrading. So um, it's nice to see that the there is an upgrade guide uh, in the, or a page in the Grails user guide for upgrading now. 
Yes, exactly. That was the. I thought that was big news to come out of the M2 version is that they now have a a nice path in the documentation to the the upgrade mechanism. And while that seems to be a lot more work for the plugin developers, it doesn't look like it's going to be that hard for people who are already accustomed to using Rails applications. Yeah, certainly. I think uh, people that aren't familiar with Gradle uh, may have uh, may find it a little uh, a little harder because um, a lot of the stuff is just moved to the build.gradle file now, and if you're not familiar with that, uh, you will need to become familiar with it. But that's a good thing. I mean, first of all, just moving to Gradle in the first place is is a lot of goodness, and secondly. Gradle, of course, seems to be practically taking over the industry anyway. It's the default build tool of choice, and, you know, it's yeah, a tough time, you know. Uh, no, I'm not um, criticizing that decision at all. It's just no. that that is a potential <coughs> stumbling block for, for some. Um, but, but yeah, most of it is about moving files around to new paces. Um, it, it's nice to see, like, the plugin descriptor file move out of the root directory. Uh, I always thought that was a little bit um, odd, awkward, to say the least. It made for it made for a, an interesting build system to actually handle having a source file in the root of the project. Right. Um, uh, but I think that's a good. Uh, the point I'm making is that by moving to the Gradle build system and having some people having to go through the the learning curve on that that's at least a learning curve that will be valuable because they'll be able to take the information they learn about Gradle and apply it all over the place, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As opposed to learning Gantt, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Um, and again, again yeah, actually, the, if you've been using any of the, the Gantt stuff, the custom scripts and the like, that will be uh, a big hurdle as far as the upgrade goes. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's not like Gantt was ever, I never thought it was a bad thing. I thought it was nicely done. It just, again, Gradle kind of has become the de facto build tool throughout the industry. It's a good thing to leverage, and, of course, it has all kinds of power associated with it, and it's still interactive development. So that's that's always a nice thing there. I just don't want to make it sound like, oh, I didn't like Gantt at all. I didn't really have anything against it. I just, I like, you know, Gradle's a really good move. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't, and I, I never really considered Gantt to be the issue. It was that we were creating a build system on top of Gantt. Right. Um, and we didn't really have the experience and knowledge to do a really good job of it. So it's, it's nice to offload that to the people that, that really know about building stuff. Now, one of the comments that I always heard about uh, Grails, you know, when we were talking about, you know, people were sometimes reluctant to adopt Rails because they knew it was going to undergo a major change when the new version number 3.0. Uh, I found out a couple things about that. First of all, of course, the, the big change that, that seemed to be happening under the hood was the move to a Spring Boot-based infrastructure. And that, as it turns out, from at least from my perspective, is a lot more discussion than it is anything that changes your day-to-day -day operations. I mean, I, I've actually spent some time with Spring Boot lately trying to get a feel for what that's all about. And it's it's just an auto-configuration mechanism. It's just saying, hey, if these beans are in your class path, then you don't have to write a lot of configuration. You just get the benefit automatically. Or if you just ask for certain things in the Gradle build file, we'll wire them all together. 
it, it doesn't seem like it's changing anything from a fundamentally spring hibernate based architecture, if you will, uh, so that it's not as radical a change in practice as it seemed to be in the early discussions. Does that seem reasonable to you? I think so. I mean, it, partly because Spring Boot brought a part of what made Grails good, the mm. convention over configuration of a lot of things that the plugins were doing, for example, and bringing that into uh, sort of Spring itself, a, a core Spring project. And they're just using a different technique, um, using annotations. But it, it, it's something that Grails was already doing, and now Grails can just leverage what Spring Boot is doing and basically take that off their, the Grails development team's plate. That's now something else somebody can do. Um, because uh, Grails had to do a lot of work in order to get Spring to do all of that, um, to, to auto-configure Spring. Spring was not designed for that. It was designed for people creating their own XML configuration files to declare beans and the like. Well, uh I know Craig Walls pretty well, and I'm sure he would have a bird at that. I mean, yes, they still have the XML configuration files, but they've got the components scanning, the annotations. They've got the Java config, which they're very happy with. But, yes, you're right. It's all, it's all Java, and therefore it's all yeah. compile time and everything. Right. Well, my point is that's where it started. Right, right. That it, it, uh, it was manual configuration and actual runtime configuration of the application context wasn't really designed for. Um, that's what Spring Boot has kind of added as, as part of the Spring. I think, you know, Grail's uh, influence changes to the internal design of Spring to make it easier to do this um, dynamic configuration. Um, but it, as I understand it, it wasn't sort of fundamental to the design of Spring in the first place. Right. That's and not how people expected it to be used. And that, you know, that's the way things happen. Well, the move to Spring Boot in general from, I mean, the Spring Boot people are very happy because it seems to be revitalizing Spring in the marketplace. Spring was starting to get a bit of a reputation as kind of dated and large and unwieldy and all of that, and this is streamlining it and making it somewhat practical again. A lot of the people I know who talk to me about Spring are all asking about Spring Boot, and it's less of a dramatic change than it sounds like. And, of course, if Grail still works with that, that's a, a good thing. You know, it's almost like Grails is now a DSL on top of Spring Boot to some degree, as opposed to just being on top of Spring. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I can understand. It was a little bit like that with when you first come to Grails and just having, oh, like Hibernate and everything else just set up for you with some defaults and just throw some files in this directory and voila, stuff happens. Um, it, it feels like a small thing, this whole auto-configuration, but it just improves the uh, developer workflow um, significantly. It becomes much less intimidating a framework because Spring is kind of just plain Spring is kind of intimidating. There is so much to it. Yes, um, I, I always Spring refer to it. Uh, I, I always refer to it as a Swiss Army chainsaw. <laughs> Not just the Swiss Army knife; it's so massive and powerful it can do everything. But yeah, it's just—it just seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, of course, we should probably move on because we're going to have tons of things to talk about with Grails over the next couple of weeks. You know, because we yeah. know there'll be additional releases there. Uh, so, what's going on outside of that? Uh, of course, one of the things that was amazing after all these years 
is that the Spock framework finally went 1.0. <laughs> I know. I was scanning the show notes, and then suddenly it registered. I was like, what? Spock has got 1.0. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was... It, it felt like it was never going to happen. So, uh, congrats to Peter and everybody else involved in uh, getting that out as a 1.0. I think that will help boost uh, adoption of Spock in a big way. It's well, we went to. I remember how long we waited for Gradle to finally go 1.0. Remember that seemed to take forever, and yet Spock. I think it took must have been four years. I mean, it was it was at 0.7 Ruby whatever forever. I mean, now one interesting thing is you may have noticed in the Spock 1.0 situation is that now Spock still has a, uh, a, a supported groovy version on top of the Spock version as well. So you can include 1.0-groovy 2.0, 2.1, 2.2, 2.0. Actually, I think there's one missing, but they have up to 2.4 when you put in your... I in thought that was just the groovy 2.0. Groovy 2.0 works with them all. I mean, I've been using it for years and haven't had a problem. But if you put Groovy 2.4 in your build file, then you can also put in Spock 1.0-Groovy-2.4, and I suppose it's compiled under that or optimized under that or, or affected. Okay, I see. Yes, if you look at the, at the web page... At, Again, if you go to spockframework.org, it redirects you to the Google Code page. But then if you go to the GitHub page, then they describe all this, and they show they have multiple versions. And if I, let's see, if I open that up for a moment here, it's different, you know, because it used to be that you didn't have to, uh, to go to all the, the different uh, versions. You could just use 2.0 or what have you. Yeah, I went to the page now, and as they say, uh, the latest release version is 1.0, but they say 1.0-Groovy 2.0, 2.3, and 2.4, all of those. And they recommend that you use the consistent one with the Groovy version that you happen to be on. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Now, I guess I have, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. That's probably some more sort of small binary incompatibilities there. Yeah, I expect it's a minor thing. I mean, as I say, I've been using the one that ends at dash 2.0, you know, for years now and never had a problem with it. So I expect that that's simply, I'm arguing it's maybe an optimized version, but it'll be interesting if we get a response to this podcast that explains it. Which also, by the way, seems to be that, that Peter apparently has moved on from Gradleware. Did you notice that? Oh, no, that's news. I saw something about him being uh, at Apple now, of all places. And I... I I, th I think it was a LinkedIn thing, although LinkedIn, you, you don't always know, you know, that's always kind of a roll of the dice as to how accurate... Well, maybe you're not spreading rumors now, Ken. Hey, this is a podcast. That's our job, right? <laughs> so I, I'm wondering whether the release is connected with the fact that he finally actually had a, a moment to finish, you know, because uh, the... The whole time he was at Gradle, where they kept him. I mean, now if I had a caliber, a developer the caliber of Peter available to me, I'd keep him busy too. But Gradleware kept him so flooded with Gradle-related work that apparently that was a big reason he wasn't able to finish up and release Spock. Because again, there's not like there's a whole lot of fundamentally new stuff in there, especially compared to the point seven. It was yeah. mostly just finishing, you know, getting it all done and ready. Yeah, yeah, and I think I, I'm guessing that. that Peter sort of came to a decision that all the things that he wanted in the 1.0 release 
weren't absolutely necessary. So wow. the, just the just the the critical stuff would go in. Now we can call that one zero. Well, um, I do very much expect to hear from him as a result of this. Probably, probably. But yeah. I know I've, I've been there before. You say, I want these things in version 1.0. And then as time progresses, you eventually get to a point where you go, well, okay, that's, that's not absolutely needed. You know, we can, we can manage 1.0 without it and various other things. So there was that whole period of uh, Grails hitting 1.0, um, Gradle you know, taking its time hitting 1.0, although um, it's the reason that took so long to get to 1.0 is fairly well known. It was about the realization that um, they had to basically implement the whole dependency management themselves. Right, right. Uh, and when they made that decision, that just ballooned the uh, development time by several months. So. Which is, um, but yeah, quite understandable, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's kind of frustrating for all the people who are like, well, where's 1.0? What's going on? What's going on? So. Right. Now, I, all I did is I took uh, my code from Making Java Groovy, you know, from my book, and I tried to take this Spock chapter and just change the build file to 1.0 uh, Groovy 2.4, and everything worked as before. Now, I didn't try to use any of the new features. I was just upgrading an existing build to make sure everything worked, and... So far, everything I've upgraded has worked fine. I tried to run something. I, I, I looked at the, they apparently have also updated the Spock example project, too, which I always use in presentations, you know, to, to explain to people what Spock is about. So that's now on, on Spock 1.0. I do recall having a minor issue with IntelliJ of trying to run as a JUnit test with 1.0 and getting some strange errors. But when I switched to a Gradle test, running it under Gradle, everything worked fine. That may have been me. I'll take a look at that, see if I see what the problem was, if maybe that'll go away. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed. But, yeah, yeah that was, I, I have to say that was the news that kind of, after scanning the, the show notes, was like, wow, yes, okay. <laughs> right. Great news. Now, speaking of releases, again, the other thing that was released or another product was uh, Rat Pack is moving on again. Uh, Rat Pack is now up to... 0.9.14, from what I gather. Yeah, looks like they want to go for the uh, the lean approach and get as many get those releases going as frequently as possible. Trying to keep to that two week or four week schedule, right. like what we try with podcast. <laughs> Rat Pack, I still get the feeling changes significantly with each of these releases, or they may be aiming for a, a major point release at some point, but I. I get the sense that it will be significantly different from what we currently have when they actually do that. Uh, of course, that's Dan Woods writing his book problem, you know, <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, it's always fun um, writing to a moving target. But no, I, I'm not sure. I feel that uh, a lot of the stuff uh, is stable. Um, it's just individual parts may see uh, a fair few changes. Um, but I don't know. This one looks more like fixes and the like. Mm. What well, uh, I'm really looking forward to. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, the thing that kind of stood out to me was the switch to using Groovy 241, uh, and partly because there are a lot of fixes to at compile static, the static compilation. Oh. And okay. I found it. I f have found it quite interesting the way uh, a lot of people have really. Uh, taken to the static compilation supporting Groovy. You know, people were quite happy 
with using normal dynamic Groovy have just become big fans of the, the static compilation and supporting it and using it. Um, I have a, uh, a future blog post that I'm going to have to write about that with uh, a definitely tongue-in-cheek as a defender of the dynamic typing rather than going to this static capability. Uh, the, the, I, I was planning to form an organization known as Grateful, which had to do with the the groovy dynamic typing liberation front or front <laughs> uh, something French probably <laughs> yeah. uh, you know with a character named something like Def Leopard or whatever to just to defend dynamic typing in general uh, I, I really like it now on the other hand since I've been playing around with Cedric's uh, groovy for Android they highly recommend you use uh, compile static within any of the Android implementations, and so far I found that actually very helpful. So maybe I am jumping the gun too much, but I like the dynamic capabilities. So I, I try to resist this urge to prematurely optimize, if you will. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I like both, to be honest. Mm. Uh, I, I, that will always be the uh, the the struggle is knowing where, when it's best to use static compilation and when best to use a dynamic groovy. I will tend to just go dynamic groovy unless I have a good reason to switch to static compilation. Um, um, there's no doubt that at least the the type checking uh, is is helpful for for different types of project. I mean, particularly ones where you've got a lot of people working on them, and you know, a lot of people will struggle with untyped APIs and uh, especially if you overdo the whole dynamic behavior thing. Well, but you can always use type checked without using compile stack. Absolutely. In fact, when you know when I do the Groovy course, I recommend like if you want to do it, use at type checked. Uh-huh. Only use at compile static if you need that performance benefit because well, there are those subtle differences in behavior. It also reminds me of a discussion we had on Twitter a couple of years back where uh, they're deciding, you know, do you use def for your for your variables or do you use the actual static data type? And I was noting that in my own work, I tended to use the actual static type more and more and only use def where I needed it, mostly because not only did it help the IDEs, but it also helped other readers, you know, see what you're doing. Whereas a guy like uh, Dave Klein, you know, the, the author of uh, uh, Rails 2, a quick start guide, along with his son Ben, you know, like to advocate in favor of retaining flexibility as late as possible. And that's where Dear Koenig stepped in, you know, our peripatetic lead author on Groovy in Action, and said, uh, he says, if, I think of, if I'm coding and I think of a type, I type it, pun intended. So in other words, if he knows something's going to be a string or a date or an employee, he says string or date or employee. And if he doesn't know or he doesn't care, then he says def. And I've been a adopting that as a philosophy ever since. I always thought that was very clever. Uh, then when you throw on the fact that one of the nice features of compile static is you don't have to apply it to an entire class. You can put it on a single method. That means you can do all the dynamic coding you want and then profile it and find out where the problems are and apply compile static in very local ranges just to optimize what you need. Yeah, but it's, it's amazing how, how uh, tough it is to persuade people that you should profile first. <laughs> oh. And of course, that was Andres Almiray's point, was that isn't it nice to be working in a language that supports both? So all these different styles are able to work 
some companies kind of insist everybody uses at least type checked just to make it easier. Uh, I always think that if you try to put in things in the language to prevent bad coders from writing bad code, you will ultimately fail. You can't stop bad coders from writing bad code. You just have to have test cases and make sure that things are working uh, so that you, or make sure that you have some way of knowing that things are working when you. Yeah. yeah. I think, you, you know, there, there are many arguments given for why one is better than the other, particularly as far as, you know, type checking is better than um, dynamic stuff. Like, oh, you need more testing. Well, you don't really need more testing. You should have those tests anyway. Um, but uh, there, there are certain classes of error that the compiler can pick up that, mm. that, that, around types. Um, and largely, uh, developers are working with known types. So it makes sense to have that information available. But you can't, you can't do the markup builder stuff with known types or right. I think Scala can probably do it but yeah I, let's not go into that discussion um, well that's the sort of thing I run into all the time on the no fluff just stuff tour you know what I'm what I, I've got other speakers on the tour who are Scala fans and some who are closure fans and of course the closure fans want everything to be dynamic and the Scala fans are like no everything should be static and I try to stay out of the discussion yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's best, generally speaking. Um, it's great having the, the option. I, w I will stick to dynamic. I mean, I originally wrote, I started adding at compile static to everything in LazyBones. Um, oh. And then it didn't make us, it didn't seem to make a significant impact in the size of the class files or in the memory usage, and certainly didn't make, have any impact on the speed. So I decided just to remove it. The uh, other nice thing, as long as we're talking about testing a little bit, is that you may have noticed that the at Manning, that book, um, Java Testing Using Spock, is actually in the top ten of the uh, MEEP, well, the Manning Early Access Program bestsellers at the moment. Uh, just look now, it's still sitting there at number one, Java Testing with Spock by, now I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, uh, Konstantinos Kapolonis. I mean, it's a Greek name, so it looks pretty. It's usually pronounced how it looks. So I'm guessing that's how you say it. Uh, yeah, sorry, I, I missed that. You you went uh, muted almost. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, I didn't mean to. What I was saying that Kapolonis. Yeah, that's probably how you pronounce it. So um, that's that's great for him because um, I mean I don't recognize his name. I think it's um, suspected no. author. So. Uh, that's really great for him to have uh, sort of number one in the meet. Well, and I like the fact, again, that something from the Groovy ecosystem is bubbling up that high in popularity. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've read through it a bit. It's, uh, you know, we've mostly just the first few chapters are available. It's going to be a while. But I, I like the fact that people have already jumped on the bandwagon and said, wow, this is going to be a good contribution. We've kind of needed a Spock book for many, many years. Uh, I have some Spock stuff in my book, but it's just a chapter. I'm sure there's throughout Groovy in action, I imagine. Uh, so it'll do, it's nice to see a dedicated book that appears to be appealing to people outside the direct Groovy community. So I imagine that's the uh, the Java in the in the title again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's that's the bigger um, bigger market is Java developers rather than necessarily the Groovy developers. So. 
anything anything that sort of gets uh, Groovy better known, and of course, um, uh, what was I going to say? Groovy better known, and, and just uh, gets it used in, in, in projects. Um, one one last thing, just moving on. Uh, the last thing that I put in the show notes was about uh, Cedric Champeau's uh, blog post on who is Groovy. Did you get a chance to look at that at all, by the way? Uh, no, I've only just seen it. The title, I think, was not um, indicative of what you were going to see there necessarily. I think you had to look at it to go, oh, is that what this is about? It's about uh, the commit history of the language and how he showed certain people being very high on the commit list in terms of number of commits in the language itself and how that changed over time. Uh, I love the section called The Rise of Paul King, for example, <laughs> where suddenly he's got a huge percentage of the commits. But the, the interesting thing, in addition to the blog post just being kind of fascinating as it was, the most interesting thing about it, of course, is it showed how many commits were being done by people who were not sponsored in any way to work on the language, you know, notably Paul, among others. Uh, you know, have made a huge contribution so that when people say, well, what about the pivotal support going away? Is this going to hurt? You point out, look, this is a very active language with people all over the world who are committing on a regular basis. That's not going to change in any way. But it was really fun to read that read that list. I, I do recommend that if you get a chance to read through it. It's, uh, I mean, you're obviously in there. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff. Well, I'm just trying to find myself in here. <laughs> That's all I'm interested in. Is my name in here? <laughs> like Googling yourself. I gotta say, ah. my one commit, my one commit to the Groovy language, actually made it in there. Uh, and I have to tell you a, a quick story about that. Is that um, what happened was I was looking at Groovelets. You remember Groovelets? I do. Yes. Yeah, been a while. And when Groovelets were first created, they had a markup builder built into them that you could just use directly. And I was noticing, and this is probably oh, three years ago or so, that it only had a markup builder built in. Why not also put in a JSON builder? So I went and, and in fact, this is all your fault. I got to tell you that. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Yeah, you I'm wrote a blog post. Yeah, you wrote a blog post back in about 2012, I recall, on how to contribute to the language. You know, ah. Describing the process, how you clone it, how you write your tests, and how you write the... It was as much a GitHub tutorial, you know, a Git tutorial as it was how to do this. Yeah, 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 I remember doing that. Yeah, yeah. and I was in the middle of writing my book, and I'm like, well, geez, I don't at least commit something, you know? And um, by the way, to, to speak about how nice people are in the Groovy community, I once said to Jeff Brown that I felt like I ought to be a committer. I had to, I had to contribute something, not a committer, just a contributor. And yeah. he said, you're already a contributor. Don't worry about it, which is, again, just very nice of him. But at any rate, when I saw your blog post, I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to contribute something. So I put in the JSON builder inside of Groovelets, and I wrote a test, an integrate, a unit test, and it all worked, and then I committed it. And then to my horror discovered that I had contributed something and then broken the build in the process. <laughs> because it turned out that uh, if you do the full integration build, it had to compile the Java stuff before the Groovy stuff or something like that. And also Guillaume pointed out, mm, this really should be a streaming JSON builder rather than a regular JSON builder. But anyway, he fixed it. But it was I had never realized at that point that you could feel elation and horror pretty much at the same time, you know? <laughs> and, 
and you don't. You, you actually oscillate between them really quickly. It's like, oh, this is wonderful. I can't believe I did this. And, oh, I, oh my God, I can't believe I did this. I was horrified. And go back and forth and back and forth. <laughs> so, I mean, it was very generous of Cedric to include me on that list. But that's my one contribution, which at least I got a story out of it. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Well, I think it's sort of just highlighting the numbers. I'm, I'm impressed that... Uh, what the 20, 2014? Yes, sixty-six contributors. He's, he's right. I mean, it's really grown enormously in, in the last few years. And again, Groovy's a quiet technology. It doesn't get the press. It doesn't show up as often. And yet, it's becoming more and more widely adopted. Quite pervasive. Yeah. Anything wow. else uh, you're interested in talking about? Anything that you've seen? I I don't think we have anything else in the show notes at the moment. Uh, well, you missed the first item. I did. Oh, my goodness, I did, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that, was, that was a little surprise. Um, yeah, so uh, Guillaume, Guillaume Laforge, head of this sort of uh, project lead for Groovy, uh -huh. has joined a, a new company, Restless. Well, I don't know if Restless itself is new, but uh, no, I don't I'm know. He must have moved very recently. Yeah, well, Restlet is actually a technology that's been established for quite some time. Uh, I have friends who are very active in the RESTful web services area, things like Semantic Web and things. I mean, the, the really, you know, the people they call Restafarians, if you will. And they've never been wild about any of the Java solutions or implementations, I should say, of RESTful web services. They didn't have much fondness for JAX-RS or anything like that. Uh, at least Grails now supports hypermedia to some degree. Well, one of the APIs in Java that they generally did like, that they thought was a very nice approach, was Restlets. And I had heard about it, and I kept expecting it to become bigger, but it's another one of those that just didn't seem to get the publicity for some reason. So I'm not terribly surprised Guillaume found a home. I mean, Guillaume's going to go somewhere, you know, if you need an outstanding developer, he's your guy. But it's nice to see he goes to a place where obviously he'll be implementing everything with a nice Groovy API on top of it, and hopefully they will give him the time and support he needs to continue to work on the language, at least at some level, if not the level he used to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it certainly from the interview sounded as if he was going to be able to keep his Groovy hat on, as he said. Mm. Um, yeah, because, uh, I mean, he's been the head of the project, what, for over 10 years now? Uh... Yeah, I'm not, I don't know. Um, he's been there for a, for a while. So I, th I think he was involved in the project um, close to the beginning. Yeah, you'll see him on the commit list right in there. You know, he took over after, uh, uh, how do you pronounce his name? James Strahan? Stra I don't know how you say uh, it. As far as I know, it's James Strachan. Strachan, yeah. When, once he left, then that's when uh, Guillaume took over. I think yeah. he's done a wonderful job. But yeah, now he's at Restlets, or the company behind Restlets. I don't know if the company has the same name. That's always dicey when you when you get into that problem because then there's always trademark and copyright issues and who wants to own the the company wants to own the name of the company. What happens to the name of the product? You know, you get all those issues there. But regardless, yeah. Guillaume I think is now the company there. is Restlet. Pardon me? I think the company is Restlet. Right, but regardless, Guillaume is now there, and that seems fine. What I find also interesting is conspicuous by its absence is any announcement from anybody else on that uh, Groovy or Grails team that was at Pivotal. Yeah, yeah, so fingers crossed for Cedric and Jochen and the, and the Grails team, but it, it does seem that there's no one going to take the whole team. 
Um, but, you know, that was one of the kind of advantages of going for a foundation. Well, uh, Paul is at a cert, so he'll be fine. So <laughs> as long as he's there, there'll be commits. Uh, so, I mean, it's uh, an interesting fact that he chose Restlitz. I think uh, the description sounded like they're very happy to have him, and he's very happy to be there, and he will continue to work on the language as well as providing a nice groovy API on Restlitz. Uh, so I think it's all good in the end. <coughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, sort of getting any uh, company involvement into Groovy is, is a good thing. So, let's say, fingers crossed for the, the rest of the team. Um, I'm pretty sure they should find uh, new homes. Okay, Not now, any, anything else you can think of? Did we cover everything and I didn't miss the number one item? <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> um, no, no, no. I think we're, we're, we're well done for today. Um, and hopefully there'll be more stuff to cover in a couple of weeks' time. Um, I have no uh, doubt. Hopefully I'll be clean-shaven and recovered in two weeks. Well, no, that you you got that. Um, oh, what's the the actor, the transporter? You know, you got you got that Jason thing. Jason Statham. No, 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 no. This yeah. is turning into a full-fledged beard. He just has stubble. Yeah, but you've got a particular set of skills too. If you want to blend that in, so you know, it, it's all good. It's all good. So I don't think I've got that London accent. I hope I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so let's plan tentatively to try to do this again in another couple of weeks. Yes. And we'll see how you're feeling and everything. And <clears throat> I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about in the Groovy ecosystem. Uh, so thank you very much for managing to well, basically survive. <laughs> <laughs> And, and not coughing all over the place. Well, uh, this is uh, yeah, one time I'm glad uh, doing this via video. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And hopefully we'll catch you next time. So goodbye. Goodbye. I'll just stop the broadcast, right? Yep. Yep.